the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 275 for September 4th, 2011. The DOJ sues to block AT&T's purchase of T-Mobile, Samsung announces the Galaxy S2 for the U.S., and new hardware from HTC running Windows Phone 7. My name is Mickey Papillon. I'm Joey Coppas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. Well, the U.S. Department of Justice on Wednesday filed suit against AT&T looking to block the proposed acquisition of T-Mobile. In the filing, the DOJ said AT&T's elimination of T-Mobile is as an independent, low-priced rival would remove a significant competitive force from the market. The acquisition would result in tens of millions of customers facing fewer choices and lower quality products. Further, the department said the deal would violate U.S. antitrust laws and intends to block the deal from passing. The merger has been under the review of the DOJ and FCC for the last six months, though the commission has not made any decisions yet. According to FCC Chairman Julius Janikowski, by filing suit today, the DOJ has concluded that AT&T's acquisition of T-Mobile would substantially lessen competition in violation of antitrust laws. Competition is an essential component of the FCC's statutory public interest analysis, and although our process is not complete, the record before this agency also raises serious concerns about the impact of the proposed transaction on competition. Vibrant competition in wireless services is vital to innovation, investment, economic growth, and job creation, and to drive our global leadership in mobile. Competition fosters consumer benefits, including more choices, better service, and lower prices. Then Wayne Watts of AT&T spoke out on behalf of the carrier. Watts said, We are surprised and disappointed by today's action, particularly since we have met repeatedly with the DOJ and there was no indication from them that this action was being contemplated. We plan to ask for an expedited hearing so the numerous benefits of this merger can be fully reviewed. The DOJ has the burden of proving alleged anti-competitive effects, and we intend to vigorously contest this matter in court. T-Mobile's parent company, Deutsche Telekom, issued a statement as well, saying that they were very disappointed with the move and that they appreciate the DOJ's willingness to discuss possible remedies to address the competition concerns. CEO Philip Hum had this to say to an email to employees on Wednesday. By now, you have heard the news of the DOJ's filed lawsuit to block AT&T and T-Mobile's merger in a U.S. district court. We were surprised by this sudden announcement, and Deutsche Telekom will join AT&T in challenging the DOJ's case in court. Deutsche Telekom and AT&T believe the DOJ has failed to acknowledge the significant consumer benefits of the deal. DT remains convinced that bringing together these two world-class businesses would create significant benefits for customers around the country. While this action is addressed in federal court, the best thing you can do is to continue focusing on strengthening our business and offering world-class customer service. Customers have many reasons to choose T-Mobile, from the great value we offer to compelling devices running on America's largest 4G network and our leadership in customer service and satisfaction. Working as a team, we will continue to prove there is no better time to be a T-Mobile customer. Let's build upon this positive momentum we've created over the recent months. We've got a great team here at T-Mobile, and I know you will join me in ensuring that no matter what, 
I am T-Mobile. Count me in. I promise to make more information available to you in the coming days and weeks on One Voice and through your leaders as this news develops. Now, one of the proposed acquisition's biggest opponents has been Sprint, and they spoke out on this as well. They said, the DOJ today delivered a decisive victory for consumers, competition, and our country. They had to bring in the country, didn't they? By filing suit to block AT&T's proposed takeover of T-Mobile, the DOJ has put consumers' interests first. Sprint applauds the DOJ for conducting a careful and thorough review and for reaching a, dis- a just decision, one which will ensure that consumers continue to reap the benefits of a competitive U.S. wireless industry. Contrary to AT&T's assertions, today's action will preserve American jobs, strengthen, strengthen the economy, and encourage innovation. So really, where do we go from here? Well, I think Fierce Wireless's Roger Etner makes a very valid comment, and he says T-Mobile will likely be left to die a slow death. Uh, Etner says people who don't want to spend a lot of money on wireless are not swayed about who is a national provider or not if the price is set on a national level or not. Uh, They go for the lowest price, and T-Mobile is clearly not the lowest price provider in the market. You've got carriers like Straight Talk, Boost, MetroPCS, and Leap, which are, and people are leaving T-Mobile in order to join them. People who want to have a better value proposition but don't want to pay too much go to Sprint. People who want to have a better quality experience join Verizon or AT&T as both are growing and postpaid subscribers. T-Mobile is like the Oldsmobile, too expensive for a low-cost experience, not luxurious enough for the premium segment. Did anyone really feel an impact in the market when Oldsmobile disappeared? Verizon still has a better network. MetroPCS, Leap Wireless, Straight Talk, and Boost still offer cheaper service, and Sprint has locked down that value segment through superior positioning. Really, the next step in is a court hearing for the DOJ to prove its claims of anti-competitive effects that the merger will have on the industry. Meanwhile, consumers have been leaving T-Mobile each month, and the market for the middle carrier is quickly dwindling. Joey, this is a very, very interesting story, a lot going on with this one, and I know this is just going to be played out for the next six months or so. Yeah, that's going to be a it's going to be a lengthy uh, decision here. I, I don't think uh, the expedition here is going to make uh, much of a difference. It's going to take a long time to really analyze the market. And uh, you know that last point there you made about them being kind of the intermediate carrier, kind of in the middle, and they they pretty much are. I mean, they used to have their uh, major customer uh, satisfaction, but that really doesn't exist that much anymore. It's uh, it it it's, it has moved to the really low cost carriers, and also now we've got so many good prepaid options that are even lower cost. It it does kind of put T-Mobile in kind of a difficult position because it's not um, it's not what it used to be, especially with the the, the amount of data and the smartphones that are really uh, front and center right now. So. Uh, you know, they, they probably do have a pretty valid argument with that particular market position. I talked about this a little bit on Tippy this week, uh, the iPhone blogs podcast. And basically what I was saying was I'm concerned about what this is going to mean, not only for AT&T or for T-Mobile, but also for AT&T. I feel like AT&T is, has had this momentum over the last six months, year or whatever, where they're, they're really putting forth a lot of effort on their network. We're going to talk about some of that in a little bit. Uh, and then, of course, they pick up this T-Mobile deal and $39 billion of uh, of which uh, they're going to have to pay out $3 billion in cash and also divest some spectrum um, if this deal doesn't go through. So there's a lot of negative on AT&T's part if this does not happen. And then you've got T-Mobile who's sitting there going, okay, well, we were going to be bought, but now we're not going to be. Deutsche Telekom 
has made no real secret of the fact that T-Mobile here in the U.S. has not been a great business for them. It's something that, uh, yeah, it kind of kind of putters right along, but when it comes down to it, it's not the biggest part of what they do. And so I'm I'm concerned for both companies and just what this is going to mean. Um, I think the biggest, you know carrier to gain out of all of this is sprint because they're the ones who have have got this this push right now for people who haven't wanted to go to t-mobile because they didn't know what was going to happen to them and didn't want to be on t-mobile now have even more doubts about what's going to happen with them as a carrier and so they're going to probably choose someone like sprint and so that's why i think that that etner really made a great point that you know sprint has locked down that value segment they've got some great positioning right now and it's going to be really really tough for these two carriers yeah it doesn't mean that people are going to just up and leave t-mobile tomorrow that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying in the long term how does this place them where are they going to where are they going to find themselves as a carrier is someone else going to buy them or are they just going to kind of putter along like they have been losing you know a few hundred thousand customers every quarter yeah, and it, it, that is a great question. I mean, we don't really know the answer, but, uh, you know, basically because they're on the AWS spectrum for their 3G, 4G, that it, it really does kind of limit them to custom-made hardware. And it's it, it's it does become difficult because if you can't compete with Sprint and if they've, you know, bumped up their customer service and done what they have done, and they did have, you know, 4G with WiMAX. I mean, that was something there for a couple of years that they were first to market. And now that we've got LTE with Verizon and um, AT&T up and coming here, it's going to make it even harder for T-Mobile to compete. I mean, they were last of the 3G game too. Um, and, and at that time, they were really starting to get kind of, uh, it was starting to get questionable uh, if they were ever going to move off edge. So it, we're kind of in that same position again, even though, you know, they, they, they call their 3G 4G but it, it's, uh, you know, not going to take them into the future like the LTE is. And people probably don't care what kind of technology that these carriers are using. So it, it's it's hard to say that um, they're not going to, it's it's going to be tough for them with a 4G network. But um, with, with the way that we're moving, uh, with LTE being that standard, and uh, like you said, Verizon and AT&T are already there, Sprint uh, is uh, made that decision, they're going to be moving that way. The fact that T-Mobile is not, it just, it smells of 2005 again with the Edge network and, and them just kind of just sitting there and people, but people, do people even really care? Maybe not. Um, but as we make our move over to high-speed data being a bigger part of why people use their devices, it's going to be difficult for them if they, they don't make the jump. And yeah, you can still quote high speeds on your network, but it's that newer technology that's really going to make it, make, it, make it shine. Well, you know, you're right, but, the, but the, the problem is it's not the end user, it's the carrier. They run out of capacity. Uh, you know, LTE can handle a lot more data versus their 3g 4g so they become uh you know it's less efficient for them to run so that's where the real issue is it's it's more of the behind the scenes uh aspects of it see and that's that's a pretty interesting point something that uh obviously we we talk about a lot you know kind of the the carrier side stuff so what can they do what is going to possibly make this deal work well Reuters has said that AT&T is looking to present a plan to the DOJ that would have multiple concessions in it, including price freezes and divestitures in hope of pushing through the deal. AT&T is said to be guaranteeing that prices of T-Mobile's voice and data services would not be raised. They say, they're saying that they may be proposing 
the uh, selling off of 25% of T-Mobile's Spectrum and customers as part of the deal. But, uh, you know, again, this is this is all rumor and speculation, and, and we'll just have to wait and see when the filings actually come out what it is that they're proposing. But um, what is it that they can do um, to make the DOJ think that this is going to not be a problem? Um, th- it, it's This is a very interesting thing. I mean, this is like... Um, and I'm going to come up with a really bad analogy here, but it's like um, going to uh, your teacher in school and telling your teacher that, uh, you know, that you want to to do something, you know, like you want, I don't know what it is, but you want to join a class. Um, and then your teacher, who's the one who has to review that, just comes back and says, no, you know, like where do you go from there? The AT&T has nowhere to go. It's not like they can side with the FCC because the FCC, obviously we talked about, um, you know, a, kind of agrees with them in, in not so many words and also basically says that, uh, you know, this is this is what they've decided and uh, they had the burden of, of, you know, of figuring this out and, and so this is what they've decided. So there's there's no place for AT&T to go. So they're going to have to make friends with the DOJ and, and just kind of move on from there. So interesting, interesting, interesting. I was uh, feeling very certain that this was going to happen and I am very uncertain about this now. I think that we may find them as separate carriers for a while down the road. And it, it is possible. Uh, you know, something like this just reminds me of, uh, you know, we've we've had speculation, oh, maybe Verizon will buy Sprint uh, back when they were really kind of having trouble a couple of years ago. Uh, this exact same scenario would play out if Verizon tried to acquire Sprint. It would be too much you know, it would be, you know, too questionable. And this would be, uh, it would be antitrust uh, focus on it for sure. It, uh, it, it just kind of makes your, 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 your immediate reflex now question everything that's going to kind of be put forth when it comes to mergers moving forward um, in, in wireless because we're down to so few carriers that have this this critical mass if you will it's not like you can say well leap wireless is out there crickets out there so you know this isn't going to matter people that it's a very specific segment and we're talking about these these tier one carriers that are going to be the ones that the majority of people buy with yeah and the in the also kind of a flip side which is kind of strange about these kind of really big deals like this uh, just the fact of, you know, administration and the government, either whether it's Democrat or Republican, usually Republicans, you know, a focused, uh, you know, administrations really will let these things go through more so than a Democratic. So then, the, you know, politics plays a big part of these decisions as well. That is a very interesting point. Uh, obviously, pro-business on the side of, of Republicans in many cases. And not that we want to get into a political spat on this one, but uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, that's that's a big part of this as well. And uh, we'll keep following it. We, we'll keep talking about it. This is, like I said, going to get interesting. There's going to be some some things that happen. But when I saw this news this week, I, I, I scratched my head and went, okay, could we get any more things happening to us in August here? <laughs> the biggest wireless month on record, I think. And, you know, it's really unfortunate, um, you know, all these questions and delays, all it does is drive customers away from T-Mobile uh, altogether. So, in fact, if this does fail, I mean, that's why AT&T has to pay T-Mobile, because think of the hundreds of thousands of customers that will be leaving because of all these questions. And because uh, customers that are current right now, if their contracts are coming up and they say, I don't want to be part of AT&T, let me move to Sprint or Verizon or whatever other carrier. And then, so they're going to be losing customers because of this uncertainty uh, big time. So it's, 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 it is a big deal. 
Like I said, I think Sprint has the most to gain from this, so we'll see uh, how the numbers come out when we get to the next quarter. Well, Bloomberg on Monday cited sources saying that AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile would be planning to invest up to $100 million into ISIS. The Nearfield Communications joint venture is backed by the support of Visa, MasterCard, Amex, and Discover, and will compete directly with services like Google Wallet. Salt Lake City was the first trial market announced, followed by Austin, Texas, and both should be online early to mid-2012. And days after Hurricane Irene blew through many northeastern states last weekend, there are still thousands of cell towers without power or service. The FCC reported early this week that as many as 6,500 cell towers and sites were damaged or affected by the storm. The commission warned that more disruptions could come as carriers race to get the towers back online. You know, as of Friday, there's still well over half a million people without uh, power. And of course, that means that uh, cell phone towers are either completely without power or maybe if they've got a backup generator uh, running on site or if they've been able to, to haul one in. Uh, so definitely going to have a lot spottier coverage there for a little while until all of the power is returned and everything can be repaired. Yeah, this this just takes a while. You know, we've seen we've seen massive uh, you know damage in certain areas, and and certainly this is the 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 carriers and the towers that are out there are not uh, beyond that. So hopefully you've got other means of communication, but it just kind of comes down to the whole you know don't be reliant on one specific type of technology to communicate. Yeah, and and one thing that's interesting to compare it to, you know, we've got the this wireless service versus our old school, you know, wired uh, regular phones, and and regular phones, you know, they th- those originate from pretty uh, durable buildings that are are basically hardened against you know extreme weather. They have backup batteries, backup generators that can run for I think weeks at a time, and all those you know lines are buried underground. They're very very stable, secure. Uh, weather really didn't affect, you know, landline pot service that much. But now we've got towers out in the air that are all remotely run with repeater links, with fiber optic links. It's a much it, it, it's it's a lot more fragile of a service, really. So uh, that that's something we just have to keep in mind. There isn't there's sometimes there's drawbacks to to wireless communications. Fragile is a great way to put it. I had not thought about it like that. It is a very fragile infrastructure, whether it's a weather-related incident or you know something even uh, less severe than that. There's there's a lot of ways and things that can go wrong with this. Uh, this infrastructure that we have that provides us such a vital service. Well, Comscore released its monthly numbers on Tuesday via the July 2011 U.S. mobile subscriber market share report. Little change occurred during the month as Android is still the top operating system, up 5.4% to 41.8% of the overall smartphone landscape. Apple inched up a point to 27%, while RIM lost 4%, down now to 21.7%. Microsoft and Symbian each lost a little ground, now down to 5.7% and 1.9% respectively. On the OEM side, Samsung still sits on top, gaining a point to 25.5%, while LG remained flat at 20.9% and Motorola losing 1.5%, down to 14.1%. Apple kept its footing at the number 4 spot with 9.5%, pulling out a net 1.8% lead over RIMS falling 7.6%. And then Nielsen reported its numbers on Thursday, mostly corroborating the figures from Com score. Android gained during the three-month period ending in July, increasing its share by 1% to grab 40% of the U.S. smartphone market. Apple's iOS stayed flat at 
28%, and RIM's BlackBerry OS lost one point from the June quarter as figures fell to 19%. And while it may feel like everyone today has an iPhone or BlackBerry, the latest data from Nielsen shows that only 4 in 10 mobile phones in the U.S. are smartphones. And while the adoption rate of devices that can do everything from checking email to consuming video is on the steep incline, the majority of devices running an advanced OS won't be reached until sometime in 2012. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I I figured we were well over that 50% mark. And indeed, we are not. We're only at 40%. AT&T this week went live with its 4G LTE network in parts of the Chicago area ahead of the official launch. The service is available intermittently in certain areas, and as BGR reports, is showing impressive speeds. Using the AT&T branded Elevate, their source shows speeds around 13 megabits per second on the download and 2 megabits per second on the upload side. And reports of the network going live in Atlanta also surfaced, though speeds were there were much quicker than those in Chicago. According to another BGI report, download speeds in the city approached 25 megabits per second and upload speeds were in excess of 8 megabits per second. Since the official launch has not been made through the carrier, speeds, coverage, and general usability are likely to change when the network is officially rolled out to consumers. Engadget on Thursday reported that new customers to AT&T will no longer be able to choose the A-list feature on their plans. While current customers are grandfathered into the plan, making changes may wipe that feature from their account. With automatic addition at no cost of AT&T's mobile-to-any-mobile offer for our wireless customers, with an unlimited messaging plan, AT&T's A-list is being discontinued for new users, that carrier said in a statement. A-List offered users 5 to 10 numbers to call as much as they wanted without additional minutes or charges. AT&T on Thursday began sending some customers text messages offering 1,000 bonus rollover minutes as a thank you for your business. Once received, simply reply yes to the message within seven days and the minutes will be applied to your account. The offer appears sporadic, though reports are popping up, uh, though AT&T did a similar promo last December. Uh, The deal may not make it, though, to all customers. And AT&T launched a new website or a series of websites this week to inform people about the upgrades the company has made to its wireless network in their area. Designed to provide information about the areas of largest expansion, the sites feature areas like Phoenix and Miami and list new cell sites, 4G upgrades, and capacity increases. For the Phoenix metro area, as an example, the carriers made over 500 upgrades since the beginning of the year. And as an AT&T customer, of course, this kind of excites me. I I look at this and and absolutely can see in the real world the benefits that AT&T is is reaping from the investment that they're making. Um, There's a number of cities that received uh, updates uh, this year, and uh, some cities were highlighted, like I said, like Miami and Phoenix. Um, It's kind of hard to figure out where you can read about this, but the the, the the website is focused at att.com slash and then the city name, but it's the abbreviation. So uh, I don't know, Joe, if you want to try maybe MPLS to see if that's out there. Or if you're in New York City, type in uh, NYC or LA or wherever, you can possibly see if AT&T is upgrading sites in your area. Sprint sent out invites on Monday for an October 7th media event to discuss the company's future strategy. The event is likely to cover its 4G plans, and including the possibility of involving LightSquared or ClearWire. Further, recent rumors have Sprint launching the iPhone this fall, which could certainly be a part of the event as well. 
Sprint on Wednesday confirmed that it will be increasing its early termination fee beginning on September 9th from $200 to $350. According to a Sprint spokesperson, beginning September 9th, Sprint is introducing a new prorated policy for ETFs for customers purchasing advanced devices such as smartphones, tablets, notebooks, and netbooks. Customers with these advanced devices will be subject to a $350 early termination fee, which will be prorated based on the number of months remaining should they decide to cancel service before the end of their service agreement. Both AT&T and Verizon charge that same $350 for those who leave their contracts earlier. And then Sprint Feed reported this week that starting on September 9th as well, the upgrade fee will also be increased, going to $36 for any customer who upgrades to a new phone. That cost is also in line with the other U.S. carriers. According to a report from TMO News, T-Mobile will offer signal boosters to customers that are looking to switch carriers due to poor reception in their homes. The offer is part of a new program to slow churn for consumers who cite service-related issues. Starting September 7th, the carrier will be offering the boosters when a customer triggers for cancellation of service due to poor in-home coverage. A memo states that customers will receive the booster for free but will need to sign a two-year agreement. And I think that's kind of the same policy Verizon and Sprint both have, I, I believe. It's kind of one of the things where it's not really common, but I, I, they do have them available. It's not something that you can really ask for. It's almost like you have to fall into it. AT&T's got a similar thing as well, where you get this letter in the mail that says, hey, take this to a store and we'll give you a free microcell. And you go, oh, okay, but you can't just go to the store and ask them for one. So it's it's kind of a weird thing, but uh, you know, nonetheless, if you're a T-Mobile customer, and going back to our conversation a few minutes ago, if you want to stay a T-Mobile customer, maybe you can get in on this action if you say that you've got problems with your service at your house. All Things D sat down with Verizon's chief technology officer, David Small, this week, and they discussed the topping of LTE roaming. According to Small, he believes that the industry will pull together and eventually offer LTE cell phones that work across different networks. According to Small, I think the ecosystem will certainly uh, certainly converge at the appropriate time, he said, noting that Verizon Wireless is already in talks with its global partners, China Mobile and Vodafone. We have a fair amount of dialogue, he said. Verizon's LTE network operates in the 700 megahertz band just above the 750 megahertz mark, while AT&T's spectrum ownership is in the lower 700 megahertz range. Right now, the devices on AT&T and Verizon's LTE networks will not work with each other. Rogers this week began taking online reservations for LTE devices, allowing customers to get in early on hardware in exchange for a $40 deposit. Currently, choices include the Samsung Galaxy S2 LTE and the LTE Rocket Stick. The Rogers LTE network is currently live in Ottawa and will be coming in four weeks to Toronto. Well, if you're looking for a way to support the cell phone junkie, you can join us on TCPJ Unlocked. It's our bi-monthly premium podcast for only 5 bucks a month, 12 bucks a quarter, or $45 for the year. You'll hear in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular issues, as well as interviews with industry experts and much more. Sign up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com, click the link for TCPJ Unlocked. Our big, a big thank you goes out to everyone that subscribes. HP's PR on Tuesday stated in a blog post that the company would begin to produce one final round of touchpads to meet unfilled demand. According to Mark Budgel, he says, We don't know exactly when these units will be available or how many we will get, and we can't promise we will have enough for everybody, but we do know that it will be at least a few weeks before you can purchase. 
So, uh, you know, this is not just for meeting customer demand. It's just to uh, get their supply chain emptied out of stuff they'd already promised and already paid for. So uh, it's just a way to, to slightly uh, reduce their losses a little bit and maybe make a couple of uh, people happy. Uh, the, the production run is supposed to be 100 to 200,000 units, so that'll be gone basically instantaneously uh, if they, in fact, maintain the same price of 99 and 150 of the uh of the current units so uh they'll be gone pretty quick when they do hit the market so uh be ready to jump when they do become available and i think they'll probably my gut feels only be available at hp's website but uh not entirely sure about that either and there's been no word on pricing either um but we are hearing that hp will be manufacturing the tablets during the fourth quarter their fourth fiscal quarter which actually ends on october 31st so we'll expect those to potentially be out uh i guess in time for the holiday season yep yep and then uh, also don't expect the seven inch one that was supposedly uh on its way that had already been approved and uh parts had already been ordered but they're claiming that's not going to be manufactured either so unfortunately it's slightly uh disappointing uh, especially if they were going to discount those too. But uh, I guess we'll just have to uh, wait and see what happens. I mean, there's tons of them on eBay right now, but they're all around the 300 kind of dollar mark is what they look like to me. And and that's still not that bad of a price. But, you know, at that point, I'd say I eh, might as well just get an iPad um, unless you're really, really averse to uh, to Apple products and, and, and iTunes in general. Then I'd actually say that's probably a good one to go with. These are some uh, enterprising folks out there. They're they're buying these devices because obviously a hundred dollars is uh, you know for many people kind of an impulse buy, and you're getting a great tablet for it. Uh, but at the same time, then you get kind of all pulled into this and decide that you know you really want to get one of these things, and you end up spending over three hundred dollars for a tablet that you don't even really want. <laughs> you were just wanting it because it was under a hundred dollars, but you get kind of caught up in that, and uh, you know that's 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 kind of how that goes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not for everyone. I mean, these devices are the tertiary devices that we've kind of said before, where it's, it comes after your smartphone, after your computer. But, you know, if it fits your needs, you know, based based on what it has, you know, like the flash support and a few other things and, and, and maybe not the lack of apps, but the, you know, that doesn't quite have the uh, infrastructure that some of the other ones have, you know, if you, if you you'd like the multitasking that it contains, you know, if all this is good for you, you can't beat this because this is a really nice piece of hardware and the, the the web browsing is great on it and the email is great on it and a few of the other things it does have, it really does very well. It's got great audio. So it's it's still an, a very nice device. We've got a, a trick later in the show that we're going to talk about, so we'll come back to talking about touchpads here when we get into our questions and comments section. HTC on Thursday announcing the Windows Phone 7.5 Mango-powered radar and Titan handsets. The Titan is the new Windows Phone 7 flagship for HTC, touting a 4.7-inch 4.7-inch WVGA 800x480 display and a 1.5 gigahertz dual-core Snapdragon processor. The Titan features 16 gigabytes of storage, an 8-megapixel autofocus camera with dual LED flash and 720p video capture. Other features include GPS, Wi-Fi, stereo Bluetooth, 5.1 surround sound, and HSPA plus 3G at 14.4 megabits per second and 5.76 megabits per second up. HTC did not announce if the Titan would be available in the U.S., though we've seen it at the FCC for a recent approval. The radar has a 3.8-inch 800x480 
LCD display with a 1 gigahertz Qualcomm Snapdragon processor, 512 megs of RAM, GPS, Wi-Fi, stereo Bluetooth, and 8 gigs of storage. It features a 5 megapixel camera with autofocus, LED flash, and 720p video capture, as well as a front-facing VGA camera. It also features 5.1 surround sound and HSPA plus 3G on the 14.4 megabit per second speed range. Both phones won't launch until October with reported full retail pricing at 599 euros for the Titan and 399 euros for the Radar. A Korean video ad was spotted by Engadget this week confirming the Motorola Droid Bionic will be released on September 8th. We talked about last week a Twitter feed that pointed out the date of September 8th as the release. However, PC Mag's Sasha Segan confirmed that the Droid Bionic Twitter account was not being updated by either Verizon or Motorola. Either way, the first dual-core LTE handset should be in consumers' hands within the next few days. AT&T announced on Monday via Twitter that the LG Thrill 4G would go on sale Sunday, September 4th for $99. The Thrill 4G is AT&T's branded version of the LG Optimus 3D with a dual-core processor, dual-channel RAM, and dual-channel board configuration. The phone features glasses-free 3D and will run on Android. Samsung on Tuesday officially announced the U.S. versions of the Android-powered Galaxy S2 smartphones coming to AT&T, Sprint, and T-Mobile. The Sprint version will be called the Galaxy S2 Epic 4G Touch and has support for the carrier's WiMAX network. The other two will be branded as simply the Galaxy S2 and will run on the HSPA Plus networks of the respective GSM networks. Uh, each device runs on Android 2.3 Gingerbread and has a 1.2 GHz dual-core processor, 16 gigs of storage, an 8-megapixel camera with 1080p video, and a 2-megapixel front-facing camera. The Sprint Epic 4G Touch has a 4.52-inch Super AMOLED Plus display, 1,800 mAh battery, and will be available September 16th for $200 with a two-year contract. The T-Mobile version will be like the Sprint model, and it has a 4.52-inch display, though AT&T's version will have only a 4.3-inch display. Both the AT&T and T-Mobile versions will use a smaller 1,650 mAh battery. Neither carrier announced a release date, though Samsung and T-Mobile is uh, citing a fall release. FCC approvals for the AT&T and T-Mobile models show NFC support, though neither carrier confirms support for the feature. So, Joey, these are really the devices for Samsung uh, for the year. I mean, obviously, they've been out uh, around the world, specifically in Europe, for a number of months now, and they've just been... People have been waiting to get these here in the U.S., so it's nice to see that uh, at least the Sprint model will be coming here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it is. It's it's really interesting how much, uh, how much demand it seems to be out there. I've actually... Uh, heard people mention these uh who really don't seem to know much about phones so they've uh somehow the word has gotten out about these particular devices even though they're you know not that much different than let's say uh comparing to like the photon 4g that's on sprint right now the motorola version but people really do want the uh the galaxy s2 so it's uh kind of interesting that we've got uh, this much demand for samsung and they've really just uh, uh they've really taken over it seems like for uh android uh handsets how are you feeling about the size difference between the AT&T model and, and the other two? It's kind of a strange thing if they're in the same family and you've got different screens on them. Yeah, it is very strange. Um, but you know what? All these models, they're, 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 who knows? I mean, it could be just the sub-model. It could be, you know, they're calling it just the Galaxy S2, or in fact, it's based on some other phone that they call something else somewhere else. It's, I don't know, it's fairly arbitrary, really. 
and I don't think it really makes that much of a difference. I, I think a, a 4.3-inch display is plenty big for an Android device. In fact, I, I think 4 inches is even even better. But, um, you know, it's I hear they've got beautiful screens on them, and they're really, really fast. And I think this is uh, the baseline for Android at this point. Yeah, and I know they're fairly thin as well. So it's, uh, you know, the bigger screen on the Sprint versions, probably to make more room for battery, uh, to keep more power for the WiMAX radio. That's just my gut feel. Uh, so that's probably why it's like that. Yeah, and who knows why in the T-Mobile version, right? Just because. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just because. I mean, maybe it may maybe they're maybe they already have a four point three inch model, and T-Mobile said we need something slightly different than what we already have. It, it really well it could be something like that. Yeah, no real reason other than they're sort of here. <laughs> the Sprint version will be here soon. <laughs> the other two will be available sometime. We don't really know. It really, Sprint was the only one who had their act together when it came to this announcement. You know, obviously Verizon wasn't there. We knew Verizon wasn't going to be there though. So, uh, we'll again, we'll see when these other two come out. We'll talk about it when they get released. Motorola on Tuesday announced the Pro Plus, a front-facing QWERTY Android device with support for both AT&T and T-Mobile's 3G bands. The Pro Plus runs Android 2.3 Gingerbread and features a 1 gigahertz processor, 3.1 inch 480 by 640 touch display, and has Gorilla Glass. Other features include a 5 megapixel camera with flash and video capture, a GPS, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and an FM radio. It includes 4 gigs of onboard storage and accepts micro SD cards up to 32 gigs. The Motorola Pro Plus will ship with multiple 3G variants, including a tri-band model with 14.4 megabit per second, 850, 1900, and 2100 MHz HSDPA that's compatible with AT&T's network, and then one that's 14.4 megabit per second, 850, 1700, and 2100 MHz HSDPA that could be used on T-Mobile's network. Now, before you get too excited, the device is only being sold initially in Asia and Europe, so don't look for this one just yet in the U.S. Sony Ericsson this week announced the Xperia Arc S, updating the Xperia Arc to a 1.4 gigahertz processor. With the speed bump, Sony says that it can open the camera application 25% faster and load websites 20% faster. The Arc S also includes an 8-megapixel camera that can shoot 2D and 3D panoramas, as well as 720p HD video. The Arc S will have a 4.2-inch reality display with Android 2.3 Gingerbread. The S will come in two radio configurations, including a quad-band 800, 850, 1900, and 2100 MHz UMTS version for the U.S. The Xperia Arc S will ship in select markets starting in the fourth quarter. Samsung on Thursday announced the Galaxy Note, a premium device that is designed to fit between smartphones and tablets with a 5.3-inch Super AMOLED Plus display at 1280 by 800 resolution. The Galaxy Note will run on Android 2.3 Gingerbread and includes a dual-core 1.4 GHz processor, 8-megapixel rear camera with autofocus, flash, and 1080p HD video, 2-megapixel front camera, AGPS, NFC, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, an accelerometer, light sensor, digital compass, proximity sensor, and barometer. The phone also comes with an S Pen stylus for pen input in certified applications. The Note has quad-band GSM and Edge radios with quad-band 850, 900, 1900, and 2100 megahertz HSPA Plus at 21 megabits per second. The device will include LTE, but no mention of carrier support was made. Price and availability were also not announced. Well, Joey, how do you feel about this one? A 5.3-inch device. It feels like a hybrid device between our phone and our tablets, and I don't know if it's going to fall anywhere for anyone. 
Uh, you know, I think it will. I think it'll. Uh, it has more appeal than the tiny phone, like the HP Veer. I, I think more people would want a bigger screen than a smaller one at this point in time, especially if you have a stylus. Maybe if you can basically turn it more towards into a tablet for note taking. I suppose it, it. It just seems like uh, people don't mind the bigger phone. I mean, even me personally, I never thought I'd go for a four-inch screen phone like with the Nexus S, but uh, I, I don't even notice the size of that thing. So and. And I could see a lot of people with bigger hands than me or even maybe eyes that uh, aren't uh, as good uh, needs larger print uh, and hence a larger screen makes it easier to interface with these devices. So uh, I I definitely see that there's a, a, a good possibility for this. And my prediction is going to be this is going to be the Kyocera Echo Part 2. <laughs> it's going to be like kind of a cool thing. People review it and go, yeah, that's unique but then we're never going to hear anything else about it. I, I get your point. I don't think it's going to happen. I think people are going to go for the smaller devices just because 5.3, that's diagonal. That's a big device. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Known by its code name, the Puccini, the HTC Jetstream 10.1-inch honeycomb tablet was finally announced for AT&T on Wednesday. The Jetstream offers both HSPA Plus and LTE connectivity with Android 3.1 Honeycomb. It also has a 1.5 gigahertz dual-core Snapdragon processor with an 8-megapixel rear camera and 1080p video capture. It also has a 1.3-megapixel front camera, expandable memory up to 32 gigs, and a scribe pen included for free for a limited time. AT&T introduced new prepaid and postpaid LTE data plans for the tablet. The postpaid tablet customer can choose a $35 per month for three gigabyte plan on a two-year contract. Customers who choose not to sign a contract can choose from one of two prepaid options. You have uh, $14.99 per month for 250 megabytes or $25 for two gigs. Customers with on the, or excuse me, customers on the two gig plan who exceed their monthly data allotment will be charged $10 uh, for one gigabyte of overage and charges will appear on customers' monthly billing statements. There's another prepaid option. It's $14.99 per month for 250 megs or $25 for two gigs. And with those, you can choose uh, then to have the extra charges, which are the same two gigs for $25 uh, show up on your account, uh, excuse me, on your credit card statement. That's how that will work. But you'll have to have a credit card on file to do it. Now, the interesting thing, the Jetstream will be available starting on September 4th, $700 with a two-year contract. I think this is an absolutely ludicrous price for a tablet. This is just dead on arrival. There's got to be something going on with AT&T for them to put out a tablet at this price point on a two-year contract. If there's no contract, I totally understand it. But the fact that they're tying you in for two years with them, I see, I mean, not even tens of thousands of people choosing to buy this tablet. It's just not a good price point with everything else that's out there with everything in the market. Well, it it goes to show that, uh, it, um, um, let me take a step back here. I, I'm thinking internally, but not speaking. Touchpad, how how much that uh, really showed. There is still demand for, for tablets. We've got the iPad 2 selling like crazy still. I mean, they're, they're finally in stock where they can ship immediately. And they're basically available almost everywhere in stock. And now we've got something that's priced uh, more expensive than that with the not the proven market and not the proven marketing, it's really just not going to go anywhere. I just, I think this is absolutely a crime. Um, <laughs> I don't think this is going to sell. I don't even think we should be talking about 
a tablet that costs $700 with a two-year contract. Where's the subsidy? That's the whole point of signing a contract is to get the subsidy. Are you telling me that buying this outright is going to be something like eleven dollars or $1,200? That doesn't make any sense. And don't tell me it's the LTE radio because that does not cost an additional $200 plus. At least it better not. So no, it's very strange. I think that they're just hoping to uh, make a high margin on this item. I mean, I think maybe it'll be like a uh, I don't I don't know if you can call it a flagship tablet because the iPad's there too with uh, so, well it doesn't have LTE support so I, I think that's probably just what they're going to go for is a tablet with LTE for this uh, holiday shopping season and we will uh, I think see this device just not even be advertised I don't think we're going to see it sell we're not going to hear hardly anything about it until a price drop happens uh, if they decide to do that otherwise there's there's some sort of reasoning for this whether it's because the next iPad's going to come out and that's the LTE enabled tablet that they really want to promote or whatever it is it doesn't matter there's something that does not smell right with this one. Samsung on Thursday announced the Galaxy Tab 7.7, the newest tablet featuring a 7.7-inch Super AMOLED Plus display. It also has Android 3.2, a 1.4 gigahertz dual-core processor, and will have full 1080p HD playback, a 5100 milliamp-hour battery, microSD support to 32 gigs, LTE and HSPA Plus support, Samsung's Game Hub, and voice call support, though price and release date were not announced. I don't think it's going to be $700 on a two-year contract. Samsung on Tuesday announced three new devices running on its Bada 2.0 operating system, the Wave 3, Wave M, and Wave Y. The Wave 3 is a 4-inch WVGA Super AMOLED screen with a 1.4 gigahertz processor. It also has a 5-megapixel camera with autofocus. The hardware features a full metal body made of aluminum and weighs only 122 grams. The Wave M and Wave Y are mid- and entry-level devices. And they have lower specs than the 3. The Wave M has an 832 megahertz processor with a 3.6-inch 320x480 screen and 5-megapixel camera. The Y has the same processor and resolution, but a smaller 3.2-inch screen and 2-megapixel camera. All three will include the new chat-on messaging service, which we will get to here in just a minute. And as we talk about at the top of the show, usually this show is also supported by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application. You can get it for either Android or the iOS uh, operating systems for $1.99. We always put links in the show notes for easy access to get them. If you have any questions about what these applications do, we figured today would be a good time to talk about them and uh, why they are great support for us and what we do here on the show. So each week we put together usually between 30 and 50 news stories to talk about everything that's going on in the week. And it's a good way for us really to have a, a good kind of well-rounded way uh, of knowing what happened in that week in cellular news. So when we put out this podcast, obviously we do it for free and we have sponsors occasionally. But uh, the, the way that we can really help, you can really help us is by buying these applications for two bucks. Um, it's developed by the same company that hosts our podcast every week. And it's a podcast application. That's simply what it is. You go in and you've got a list of all the podcasts that, are, that have been created with the cell phone junkie and uh, you can listen to them you can view the show notes you can save them for offline listening and really do all sorts of great things with them and also interact with us directly through the application now i get the question a lot can i also listen to the unlock show in these applications and unfortunately we have that show hosted with a different provider because of the premium content of it and so there's not that uh there's not the cross uh 
I guess, promotional abilities to have the Unlock show within this application. Uh, but other than that, you're getting an application that will allow you to listen to every episode that we create, and uh, you get your, your updates right there on the device. You don't have to synchronize it with a computer. You don't have to have another application for listening to the shows. So if you are at all interested in helping support the work that we do every week, please go in and download the applications. Of course, you can get them through the iPhone or for the iPhone or for Android. And if you want to see it before you actually use it, head over to the Amazon App Store. We'll put a link in here as well for that. And you can actually test it out. There's like a a test drive piece of the Amazon App Store, which is a really neat way to actually try the app and, and see exactly how it works, including playing the podcast from within uh, your web browser. So it's a pretty neat way uh, to support us and the work that we do each and every week for you. Well, Samsung on Monday announced its own proprietary messaging service called ChatOn to compete with RIM's BlackBerry Messenger and Apple's iMessage. The service lets users send and receive text, picture, picture, and video messages between Samsung devices, as well as other Android, iOS, and Blackberries that also have the ChatOn app installed. The app will be available in two versions, a basic one for feature phones and a smartphone version where users can comment on others' profiles, send animated messages, and visualize their most frequent contacted friends. The service will be live in October. Apple on Monday made iTunes 10.5 Beta 6.1 available to developers, bringing with it iTunes Match for testing. As we learned in June, iTunes Match will be available for $25 per year and offers users the ability to download a user's music via any iOS or macOS device. Following the release on Monday, a streaming feature was also discovered. While using iTunes on either a phone or computer, users can simply tap on a song and have it start playing immediately on the device without downloading it. However, Apple has said that the ability to start playing a song immediately does not mean that the service is streaming. Apple says that music will still be stored on your iOS device to the local cache, though it will indeed be begin playing upon selecting a track. Now, according to Mac rumors, traditional streaming services maintain a constant connection, so buffering only a small amount of the currently playing track at any given time. Apple's streaming solution appears to download each track in its entirety once streaming begins, and upon tapping on the track to begin playing it immediately without initiating the full iCloud download process, the track begins playing immediately, just as it would with any other streaming service. The reality is the full track appears to be downloaded as the local cache to the user's device, allowing for fast access to any portion of the track, so meaning you can fast forward into it, which is something that is not does not come with streaming services. Uh, but users also discover that a 20,000 song limit had also been implemented for the service, which to me means that this is going to be a non-starter. I've got more than 20,000 songs, and so I don't think I'll be subscribing to the service. Yeah, and of course, you know, the semantics is all that's involved here with this download definition versus streaming versus it's 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 acting like streaming. You don't get to kind of offload the file onto your iTunes. So it's not technically downloaded. So, you know, streaming is a better way to describe it, even if it's kind of doing a full download to local cache. I mean, it's just it, it, it actually is better for the end user. And it's semantics at this point. I mean, you're going to be able to just click on it and it's going to start playing and it's going to be streaming in the background. And again, there's got to be some probably legal reason why they can't actually call it streaming. Um, but I look at this and this is going to be very similar to those of you who use services like like Slacker Radio. I use it every single day. Every day I park in a parking garage um, that does not have cell phone service, but I don't lose my connection and lose the, the actual song that I'm listening to until it gets to the end. So services like that are doing the exact same thing that uh, you know that the the iTunes match will be doing it's essentially just or the iCloud will be doing pulling that music down to your device and you listen to it there and then move on 
you know, basically it's just filling the buffer up, but not just a buffer in a manner of minutes. It's a, it's a buffer toward to, to the end of the song. I mean, it's, it's very simple. It's really kind of a, it's, it, it is kind of a non-story, but it is interesting because uh, basically it will improve your experience. Just like what you experience with Slacker. If you have an iPhone, you're going to be doing this, you'll play the end of the song out. So it, it is a lot nicer. How do you feel about that 20,000 song limit? I mean, this kind of seems to be that mark that we're, we found with, with the other services too. Um, I don't know, 20,000, 20, that's probably good for most people, but music is, is kind of an interesting thing. You don't want to have to pick and choose. So the idea of having the iTunes match was great because you could grab anything in your collection. Only up to 20,000 songs though. Well, I, I am not entirely sure. I mean, for the little I've used iTunes, it seems to start choking once you put three songs into it. So I don't even know how you get 20,000 songs into iTunes, uh, quite frankly. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it is going to be challenging for many users to somehow uh, limit their list down to 20,000. Is this just another one of those, this is what Apple thinks we need, so if you have more than 20,000, you have to pick your 20,000 and just delete everything else, and you have nothing else, there's nothing else in the world, no, never mind that there's, what, 10, 20 million songs out there, 20,000 is all you will ever need. That very well, that could be, yeah. You don't need that 160 gig uh, iPod Classic. I bet there's people who have actually been able to compress more than 20,000 songs onto their Classic. Actually, you know what, you don't even need to compress them. I've got an 80 gig and I've got 13,000 songs on mine. So it's really, yeah. Anyway, Adobe on Monday released Create PDF for iOS, an application that allows iPad, iPhone, and iPod Touch users to create and open PDF files on their iOS devices. Supported file formats include MS Word, Adobe Illustrator, Images, RTF, Text, and WordPerfect, as well as OpenOffice and StarOffice documents. Create PDF is available in the iTunes App Store for $10. AT&T Tuesday announced a new application for Blackberries called Drive Mode, which, when activated, automatically sends text messages to incoming callers and pushes the call to voicemail. The application has an allow list, which can be used to specify up to five numbers that can always be reached and also includes calls to 911. The app is free for Blackberry users and will become available to other operating systems in the future. If you're a Windows Phone 7 user with a Mac, Microsoft this week released Connector 2.0 to allow synchronization between the two. The new version includes full sync and import compatibility with Apple's Aperture program, as well as drag-and-drop support for files, ringtone syncing, improved video conversion, support for Windows Phone Marketplace, and added languages. There's also more backup and restore options with improved iTunes podcast and photo syncing. The software is available for free in the Apple App Store and requires OS X 10.6 and up. HTC on Wednesday announced on Facebook that it will be updating both the Droid Incredible and the Thunderbolt to Android 2.3 Gingerbread in September. No word on which version or which features will come with the update. Google Voice for Android was updated this week, bringing multiple enhancements and bug fixes. The new version includes uh, not requiring the data connectivity for making calls to numbers that you've previously called. Also warning you when no data connectivity happens before you compose and send a text message. Also a 
fix for a bug that required you to click on the voicemail play button twice, and a fix for notification delays for SMS and voicemails. A new widget is also available with the update displaying recent messages in a larger view. The update is free and available through the Android market. Now, Joey, with your uh, Nexus S, I know you've had some issues where uh, notification delays have absolutely been present for SMS messages. Have you noticed any updates uh, and or this fix coming with this update? Well, I installed this uh, yesterday, but it, I don't know if uh, because I hadn't restarted the phone, it didn't request that, but it, it didn't really work very well. The Google Voice application kept uh, locking up when I was trying to send messages. So uh, basically, I I went back to using the native SMS application and, and just use SMS for it because it actually handles that uh, very well. And then I can just be uh, be sure that I will see the messages uh, when they come in. So I'll give it another try here uh, at another point in time. Yeah, super. Sounds like a great update. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, it, it, you know, the Google and their applications, they're not always uh, on top of things. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why they don't seem to do a little bit better with the Google Voice uh, integration. It's only their product. Anyway, Verizon on Tuesday released Android 2.3 Gingerbread for the Motorola Droid 2. The update includes a new download manager. Under Manage Applications, a new running tab displays a list of active applications, a multi-touch key cording, improved word selection and copy functionality, new user interface, new widgets, three swappable icons, new application menus, added device and SD card encryption, and VPN enhancements to integrate IPsec VPN clients into device security settings. The update is available as an over-the-air update and can be started through the Droid 2's settings menu. Some Nexus S owners are seeing Android 2.3.6 rollout to their devices this week, and it does appear that it's not for all Nexus S devices. It's those on the GSM networks. Uh, Sprint does have an update posted on their site, but uh, the one that we're talking about appears to be specifically for those up in Canada on uh, Rogers and Fido. Uh, there's different model number or uh, update numbers, I should say, with these, uh, though it does not appear that people are receiving this through T-Mobile or AT&T versions of the Nexus S. So there's a lot of confusion uh, with this update, but it looks like 2.3.6 will be the next update to roll out, and the Nexus S will be the first to get it. Let's move on to some questions and comments. First off, a question from Greg. He says, Mickey and Joey, I've noticed that my bold 9700 has stopped reminding me of birthdays. In other words, I have a birthday entered in within a contacts file, and it used to show up on my calendar on the day of that person's birthday. My device has stopped doing that, and I can't find a setting in the calendar or contact options tab. Any ideas? Greg. Well, uh, actually, there's there's a couple of things I think that may be happening here. Um, one which is actually tied to another question that Greg has. But um, the other thing, I'm, the main thing I'm thinking here is there's maybe a database corruption issue. Yeah, that is very possible. I know you can do there. There is some way to scan it and repair it. Uh, you have to type some of those secret commands to do that. I don't remember what those are offhand. But also from my research, it looks like you have to actually enter the the, the date on the BlackBerry itself in order for that event to be created in the calendar. So if you do it in Outlook and then it, and then it syncs over, it won't generate the calendar notification. There's a second question from Greg, and let me go through this because I, this is a kind of a bigger conversation for the issues that he's having. Um, so along with, along with the uh, birthday issue, um, Greg says, my 9700 was working good and fine, but I may have messed up the Outlook program and it won't sync now. As you recall, I use only MS Outlook to back up my contacts, calendar notes, and tasks. And for the last few syncing events, it keeps duplicating everything in Outlook. 
I used to have the same problem going the other way and would have multiple duplicates on the phone. In an attempt to start over with Outlook, I've somehow deleted the wrong thing, i.e. folder, in Outlook. Now when I go to sync, I get a pop-up window labeled IntelliSync that says one or more configured folders does not exist. Update folder mapping and try again. I've looked in the forms at CrackBerry with no luck. Any ideas on how I can get these folders and map correctly? Or maybe better, is there another program that I can get to sync this data? Outlook is so complex, I'd like something simpler. Still thinking about moving to another phone like the iPhone 5, but it would be a secondary device. I don't think it's as urgent as long as I can get the phone backups working again. Any suggestions, Greg? Well, you know, the the best thing to probably do is here is start over, really. Um, back up your Outlook data, um, you know, get the, the folders, that, that the data that you still do have. Try to get that copied off in out of your your pst file basically start fresh with the new one copy the data over then then uh basically in the blackberry desktop software that's where the intellisync is coming from it looks like they integrated that in there um and then reset up the synchronization um it, it, because it, it obviously something's gotten corrupt as far as how it works um and then of course the other point mickey that we we mentioned uh, kind of before the show talking about this issue uh, really, you know, if you do run a data plan over the air, really seriously look at using Google to do this over the air syncing, uh, using their contacts and using their calendaring because it, it will uh, keep the um, uh, duplicates from recurring and you don't have to deal with the complexity of Outlook. Yeah. And there's there's some easy ways to, to get going with this one, I think. Um, you know, obviously, you've, if you've got a, a good, solid um in information base in your Outlook, you can export that information um, to a file that then you can import into Google. Um, there's even connector software that's out there that you can use to basically provide a conduit from your Outlook to Google, whether it's the calendar or the contacts. And um, there's just some there's some ways that you can get around this and, and do it via the cloud so you don't have to plug in anymore. The IntelliSync thing, I, I want to go back to that just real quick. Um, I, this... The fact that it's an IntelliSync issue tells me something. Um, I'm guessing you're running a Windows machine, and I've actually had this issue in the past, not with Blackberries though, but with uh, Windows Phone devices. So this goes way back, and it was when I was doing a uh, using the ActiveSync protocol, and I don't remember what exactly happened. This, but this was a long time ago. Um, there's there's a, an IntelliSync folder, and it's usually under you know your your C drive, and then in program settings, go in there. And uh, what I what I remember from this is just the little I remember. You take the IntelliSync. There's a folder inside of the IntelliSync application. You take that folder and just pull it out. The next time you synchronize, as long as you go in and use, I'm guessing you're using the desktop manager software, setting up the all of your 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 mapping correctly. As long as all the mapping is correctly, it's going to create a new folder within that IntelliSync file, um, and that is going to pull all that that data in there kind of again it's going to redo it um, and i've had that i've had success with that and i've had to do that a couple of times well unfortunately since this is integrated within the blackberry desktop software that uh that that connector setup uh there's a lot more to it and it's actually under the uh, program files research emotion blackberry desktop and sell intellisync uh, folder you'll have to figure out where the uh, syncing uh, mapping is located it looks like it's probably under connectors under uh, outlook Oh, there's an XML file in there. That's probably where it's at. Um, but you should probably be able to do it from the, the GUI interface to get it reset. 
Hmm. I don't really like any of these options. The best thing that I think we've come up with here is the Gmail side. Why not just move this stuff over to Gmail? Um, notes and tasks, I know um, you won't be able to do that. I'm not sure how much you're, you're using those and updating those, um, you know, but maybe it would just it would make sense to, to only have the synchronization occur with those, and hopefully that will, that will solve any duplication problems. Um, that, that, is, that is an issue. I know there are some over-the-air stuff things, but it's, it's not as clean as something like Google. Yeah. And unfortunately, Outlook, it is kind of complicated. But, uh, you know, once you get the hang of it, it it's not that bad. But um, yeah, notes and tasks, that's one thing that will not be uh, included with that. Maybe just uh, nuke and pave, as they say, right? Just kill everything and, and start over. Get Just kind of get a fresh start there. Uh, I, I don't like it. That is a solution. Um, but maybe it's maybe it's the best if you want to stick with doing this. Uh, and you may have to if you don't have a data plan. I, I don't know that either. So uh, anyway, um, there's some options. <laughs> I don't know that they're great options, but they are options indeed. Next is a question from Paul. He says, guys, my wife has a Verizon Palm Pre Plus and we're recently trying to use my iGo Bluetooth keyboard with it. I was surprised that the phone seems to only support audio devices with this Bluetooth profile. And after searching online, it seems that it's true. I couldn't find any workarounds for it. And I wondered if you had maybe heard something about this. Thanks, Paul. Well, uh, what I came up with was, you know, I wanted to know what version the, the Pre Plus was running. But Joey, uh, you seem to think that because it's the pre uh, plus and not the what is it the um, pre two pre two he's not going to be able to get webOS two point which does in fact have Bluetooth profiles for Bluetooth keyboards. Yeah, so unfortunately, I think it is limited. I mean, I, there may be some third party Bluetooth drivers that can run a keyboard, but I I just don't know. Also, maybe check into Preware to see if uh, there are other drivers that you can install or get support for it. Uh, unfortunately, it may be uh, it may be limited. Probably the best resource for everything uh, when it comes to WebOS and Pre's is precentral.net. Um, head over there. Their forums are amazing. Um, Preware is just absolutely, uh, just unbelievable. That that community, as you probably know, Paul, is is about as good as they get. And uh, it's uh, it's a pretty neat thing. So anyway, uh, I think that is the issue. What Joey, what is the, uh, the Pre Plus running? Is it uh, 1.4.5? I believe that is the latest version, but I'm not entirely sure. I know that's what the, the, the latest version for the Sprint Pre is. Yeah, well, that's a shame. It's unfortunate if you can't get 2.0 on it. And if so, that's what you needed to uh, to get those Bluetooth keyboard profiles. Next is a question from Rich, and he says, Greetings, uh, my wife and I both have AT&T iPhone 4s, and we have some 3G coverage here in Myrtle Beach, but a lot of times we switch over to the Edge network. I will begin traveling for work over the next couple of months to rural areas in South Carolina where, as you know, AT&T coverage is practically non-existent. I pay about $200 a month for these phones and I barely use the service most of the time that I'm connected to the wireless network. I wouldn't mind the cost except that the service is terrible and it irks me that I need to pay for a contract even though I don't have 3G coverage in my 90% area. So my question is, is it possible for me to cancel AT&T service and go Wi-Fi only? Perhaps using a Cradle Point hotspot or the new Verizon hotspot that I can use with the iPad, possibly also to use it for streaming services like Slacker Radio. I do have a Google Voice number, but I'm not sure if I can use it without a service contract and a provider. I know that there are different uh, applications for the iPhone and iPad that will allow a user to have a telephone number as well as other messaging options, but I'm not sure how those work. Bottom line, AT&T is horrible. I want out. Are there any good solutions? I'm hoping the cell phone junkies could shed some light on this difficult situation. Thanks so much. Keep up the great work. Rich. All right, Rich. Well, um, everything I'm about to tell you here, 
I'm not going to recommend that anyone does this unless you are absolutely just going into this knowing that you are using something that is is very much um, going to eventually cause you problems. Um, it, it's not it's not going to be a very comfortable situation, but it will work. So with Google Voice, you can obviously assign it through the settings to forward any calls that come into that Google Voice number to other phone numbers. And mo- this is how most people do it. You forward it to your home, your cell phone, and maybe if you've got a direct line at work to your work phone number. This all works fine and good because they're physical landline numbers or their numbers. And so you've got these these lines that they can actually physically be tied to it. But when you start talking about uh, in the virtual sense how this can work, there's a couple of things that you can do. And actually, I do them. That's why I, I, I feel comfortable talking to you about them. But I'm not I don't use them regularly. And I always still have other methods of communication. So the first one is the fact that in Gmail, you can actually use the uh, what is it? The Google Chat protocol. Uh, so when you go into Gmail on the you know the the side there, you've got the the Google Instant Messaging program in there, and you can have it set up so that you can integrate um, the the Google. Um, what, uh, the Google Voice or the Google Calling feature into that Google Chat. And so if I look at my Gmail right now, I actually have under my chat, I've got my name, and then I have something that says Call Phone. And this is via a little plugin that I have installed for the browser. Um, this comes from Google and allows me to call numbers directly from here. Whenever I'm at my desk, this is how I make my phone calls. I always call through my headphones and microphone that I have on my desk. I don't ever pick up a phone because it's really easy because I'm hands-free. So there are ways to do this. And the better part about this is that your incoming calls to your Google Voice number can also be routed through your this, you know, your Gmail basically here. And so you can answer your calls while you're on a web browser at a desk. This works really good when you're at home on your computer and maybe at work on your computer. I do that sometimes at work to answer phone calls there. On the phone, when you're on the go, um, your idea of a solution for setting up a, a cradle point or some other MiFi will absolutely uh, work to give you Wi-Fi service on that iPhone. Um, you're obviously going to have to get out of your T-Mobile contract, and but you can still use your iPhone after that and still install applications and stuff because that's all tied through iTunes. That's not through the carrier. Um, the application that I'm going to recommend um, is one called Takatone. And Takatone allows you to sign in with your Google credentials. And uh, by doing that, you are essentially setting up the Google... Um, the Google service, and I'm going to actually go into Google Voice here because I, for the life of me, I can't remember uh, the name of this, what I'm even trying to talk about. Um, uh, it is Google Chat. That's what this is called, Google Chat. So in Google Voice, you can set up Google Chat to have your phone calls forwarded to it. When Takatone signs in, it signs in through Google Chat. Because it does that, um, it then allows any calls to your Google Voice number to be routed to Google Chat, i.e. through Takatone, and then you can use that. Now, there's some nice things that Takatone does. They allow you to either have phone calls come through in the full, uh, you know, high bandwidth way, uh, or you can have it optimized so it only they only work in a way that uh, is optimized for the 3G networks, which is what you're probably going to be using here in the areas that you're talking about. Um, the actual hardware that you would need to make this work, whether it's a MiFi, which you can, of course, pick up through the carrier, um, or a cradle point, which you then, of course, need to plug in something to, um, are, you're, you're going to have to think of what's going to be the best for you. Joey, I, I want to get your take on this one, but I would say for what he's talking about, I probably am not going to recommend a cradle point just because of the limited battery life. What do you think? 
Yeah, that would be uh, cutting it a little bit. Uh, that would be a little bit limiting. Yeah, I'm not real comfortable saying that you're going to be able to use this um, when you're out and about for long periods of time. My battery life on the cradle point is about two hours. After that two hours, it takes about three to four hours, if I remember correctly, to charge the thing up. About At that. least, yeah. It's it's a very long charge time. It is a very um, uh, energy-consuming device to be able to do what it does, though. And yeah, it's the same as a MiFi in theory, but it does a lot more. There's there's a lot more functionality to it. It can support a lot more users. It's a full router um, inside it. And so it it, it sucks up a lot of battery. Let me just put it that way. So um, you're going to you're going to have to deal with that and whether you're going to just plug this thing in in the car when you're always out there. Um, but you're not always going to be by an outlet. That's, you know, unless you have a phone that you've always plugged in, you're not going to be able to do this um, very easily. So keep in mind that there will be times where you potentially would not have that service. Of course, with any device, though, even if you don't have an active service plan on it, you're still going to be able to call 911 on it in the event of an emergency. And of course, when you've got in, you know, in range of other Wi-Fi networks, whether it's a coffee shop or, you know, maybe a municipal Wi-Fi network, you're going to still be able to do that and connect up that way. But it's just not going to, I think, be the same. But it is possible and it is very geeky. And Rich, I applaud you for thinking of this because you know part of me says this would be really neat to do as well because I have an LTE stick now and I could easily do that. But I don't feel comfortable saying t- for your only phone service to go with uh, you know a MiFi or a Cradle Point type solution. Um, you know, and at the very least, you're going to have all sorts of batteries or charging packs and stuff like that that you're going to have to carry with you. Uh, but maybe you don't care. Maybe you're just that fed up with AT and T. Um, but let me let me tell you something here. Uh, Verizon has the iPhone now. I don't know if you heard. Uh, you could get it on them. <laughs> I was just thinking here, you're talking about getting a MiFi on Verizon. Just go get a, a Verizon iPhone. You can sell your your iPhone 4 right now for a very solid price. I mean, uh, Gazelle, which is one of those services that buys phones from you, you, they, you, know, you send them your information, they send you a package, you send it back to them, they'll give you like th- over $300 for the iPhone 4 now. Not to mention what you can get for it still online. You could probably get a good amount of money, uh, pay for part of the early termination fees that you have, and go and just get a Verizon iPhone. Maybe there's a reason you don't want to do that. I don't know. Um, hopefully, this geeky solution of uh, using Takatone and you know Gmail and the web browsers when you're near a computer can work for you. Please follow up with us. This is one of the more intriguing things I've heard about in a while. Let us know what you decide, and if you do go this route. And uh, next one here, question from Dave. He says, Mickey and Joey. I've often wondered if carriers are required to report to the public in the same way that to explain or in some way to explain the reasons why a large network outage has happened and also explain what mitigation steps that they've taken. Over the past few months in the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area, AT&T has had two widespread outages a few months apart and across a region where both voice and data were down for about eight hours each uh, during an incident of an equipment issue. This is very vague and could mean anything. Also, uh, in this area a few months ago, Verizon had a 3G issue where the download speeds were atrocious, about 10 to 20 kilobits per second. And there was also that issue also lasted a few weeks. The issue only seemed to affect 3G data cards as 3G smartphones still worked fine. Both AT&T and Verizon have acknowledged the problems and the AT&T outages were even on the local news, but did not speak 
about what exactly the issue was and what steps they've taken to minimize the chances of it happening again. In ET&T's case, they've obviously didn't do much to fix the issue because it occurred two months later again. Uh, also, AT&T only acknowledged the 3G outage when, in fact, it affected 2G as well. Phones could fluctuate from no service to searching to five bars of unusable service. Uh, are these carriers required to explain these outages to the public in any way? And if so, where can we find this information? I found that asking the carrier directly is a mixed bag, and you'll receive different answers depending depending on who answers the phone. Also, the local press seem to be content with the vague canned responses that we they are receiving from the carriers. To expand on this, it would be great if it was required for the carriers to publish a map of the current network outages and the status of the repairs. In contrast to all this negativity, it's awesome to see AT&T sharing more information about their network improvements through their new microsite, which is focused at att.com slash Miami in his area. Again, sort of what the story we talked about earlier. Uh, well, uh, to answer the actual question of this, are they required to report when there's any sort of outage? The answer is no. These these folks are companies. Um, they are really giving you an answer to the public for their customers to explain uh, in the most um, unobtrusive way or un. Um, Un- unflattering way, so flattering way to their company, what has happened? And most of the time it's, well, we had a network issue. Uh, we had an outage that happened from some strange, obscure thing. And it's going to be something that they're going to uh, basically say that uh, is never going to happen again. And yes, sometimes it happens again. But um, there's no mandate that they have to do this. Um, you know, the FCC controls a lot, but um, you know, when they when it comes down to it, they're they're not going to be, especially with the infrequency of things like this that happen. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see a mandate from them that says you have to absolutely tell us the exact thing that's going on and uh, immediately what has happened. Yeah, I know they actually do have arrangements where they do report information like this uh, to whatever bodies they, they, they do, but it's not public information. It's kind of more for, uh, I think, just official use and, and uh, quality standards for government uh, issued cell phones. It's kind of my, my gut feel with that. But we do know they collect some information, but I, I don't think it's really ever going to be that useful for an end user. And as far as uh, sites out there or, you know, maps or anything like that for network outages, um, no, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a a sourcing thing. If you do a Google search, you know, like outage in Miami, I'm sure you're going to be able to find a lot of forums. A lot of the websites that you already follow are going to have updates on what's going on. And Twitter, especially, because that's kind of the, the real time service where you can kind of find these things out basically within minutes. Yeah. Twitter is a good one, too. Um, all the news in the last couple of weeks is pretty much all broken via Twitter, it seems. Yeah, it really does. I, I know uh, a couple months ago I had an issue with my uh, charter's uh, DNS servers. I, I didn't rela- realize it was the DNS servers because it acts like you don't have a connection. But I, I went to Twitter and, you know, typed uh, charter outage. And then immediately I saw, you know, oh, uh, you know, hundreds of uh, tweets about DNS issue. I'm like, oh, of course, DNS. So then I, ch- you know, changed my uh, router's uh, DNS server entry and up and running again in a couple seconds. Yeah, it's it's sometimes it's you know it's it's a small thing or you know whatever it is, but uh, yet I didn't even think about Twitter. But yes, absolutely, Twitter is is a good way to look for that as well. Um, you know, maybe there's there's some accounts that you can follow. Um, you know that are you know folks that are talking about this often. You know, do some searches within Twitter and see if you can find the topic that you're interested in. Um, I don't know. I got I got hooked on an earthquake kick a while back. And so I'm now following all the earthquakes that happen all over the world all the time as uh, you know, just 
for fun, and it's all through Twitter. I never go to any websites. So um, that can be a good way for you to get your information. And, of course, you can sign up to have those pushed out to your, your mobile phone if you want to see you know, when these are happening. Although that's just insult to injury, isn't it, when your phone isn't working and you're trying to push out a, no, irony there, maybe? Anyway, uh, I don't have any good websites for you to look at other than Twitter and do a little searching. Finally, a comment from Dominic. He says, I finally listened to the last show, and Mickey, my touchpad order from Barnes & Noble was canceled as well. I've signed up at hp.com for the notification, but my hope is that is that this is fading away. I hope to snag one uh, when the notification is sent out, but my fingers are not crossed. Thanks, guys. Dominic. Yeah, and Dominic, I, I'm in the exact same boat. Um, head over to hp.com if you're interested in finding out. In fact, Joey, I, I'm thinking about this, and as soon as I was able to get my name on this list, I think I realized that uh, that they had shortly thereafter cut that off, didn't they? They did. And also there was a report that a lot of the uh, names actually didn't even get recorded or email addresses uh, didn't even get recorded because I think their database just ran out of room. So uh, unfortunately, you're just going to have to wait here till uh, what sometime in October when we'll probably hear a little bit more information. Let's take a piece of my advice uh, or our advice, your advice from the last comment here. Follow Twitter, Dominic. There's a lot of folks on Twitter that will be reporting when this stuff happens. Yeah, exactly. And then also for, um, you know, keep watching eBay because it looks like there's a, a really a lot of touchpads on eBay. Um, and what will happen here once this, the, 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 the fever here wears off on the touchpad, those prices will start dropping. They probably won't ever reach the 99 and 150, but they may not be that much more. I mean, I have a feeling it's probably going to settle down into the 150 to 200 range, you know, for the 16 and 32. So, you know, you may be able to get one brand new that's not a lot more. And it's still an extremely good deal. Yeah, and I'm not saying that there's because I'm about what I'm about to say is going to sound very negative, but I'm I this is still if you can get these for this price, this is a fantastic deal on this piece of hardware, but I'm about done. Unless this thing falls into my lap for 100 bucks, I'm done. I, I can't waste any more time on this. Um, I don't even really want one. I want one because it's $100, but I don't really want one. I've got a tablet here. I use that moderate, uh, a moderate amount. Um, I, I like it. I have fun with it, but it's not essential, and this cannot be an essential thing for me to buy. Dominic, I'm with you. My hope is fading away, and who knows if it's going to happen. So maybe they'll surprise us, but I think not. If you have any questions for us, you can send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call 206-203-3734. And you can follow everything that we do for this show over at the cell phone junkie.com. So Joey, happy Labor Day. And thank you very much for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at the cell phone junkie.com.